This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs, and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. All of this and much, much more can be yours. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And this evening, we have a little something to get you in the mood for springtime. An early summer salad of fear. Because let's face it, when are summer salads not terrifying? I still can't believe people eat those things. I mean, just ask yourself, when was the last time you saw a bowl of potato salad that didn't have a fly on it? Hmm, thinking about it now, eh? Grandma's winter borscht doesn't sound so bad anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. That's right, folks. Mayonnaise and sunlight. Two things that should never really be combined. And yet, we have summer salads. Yum. Shall we? Why don't you become a patron? While we're waiting. No ads. Everything from the network since 2012. Pretty good deal, huh? All you gotta do is go to simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener to the horror hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.
And now, from author Ralph Robert Moore, I give you Monkeys on the Beach. Foam slid down the station wagon's windshield, bubbles and whiteness towards the black wipers. Selena, holding the green hose by its neck, water gushing out, offered it to Jeffrey. Do you want to spray the soap off? Jeffrey glanced at Lisbeth. His older sister thought about it a moment, conscious of Selena waiting patiently. Nodded. Jeffrey took the rushing water from his stepmother. Fingers feeling the vibration in the hard green rubber. Sucked in a breath. So many new adventures when you're young. Don, tall and broad shoulders on his haunches at the rear tire of the station wagon, scrubbing the hubcaps but keeping an eye on the hose being switched from a delicate hand to a small hand, caught Selena's eye. Smiled. Another little inroad into getting his kids to accept his new wife. He felt great. Didn't feel at all like he might pass out. Maybe it was the island air, or that healing salt from the ocean carried in the Caribbean breezes. Down by the rear tire, sandals wet, he could see past their rented villa to the beautiful green blueness of the bay. Never had he lived anywhere with such a view. Always wanted to. He actually didn't mind passing out. He'd come to enjoy it. To be on your feet and suddenly start losing consciousness... Limbs falling off, that underwater confusion, mind muffled to where you can't put a sentence together, and then in sweeps the blackness. Something magical about coming to on a floor, return to your life, looking across the flatness of dust and forgotten paper clips. Where am I? And, of course, the pain. A body falling, unconscious before it starts collapsing, doesn't defend itself on the way down. So, when you come to, an elbow aches, maybe a knee, fingers fumbling over your face, feeling. Every time he passed out, he had been by himself, in the garage, up in his study, out in the yard. Usually it was quite easy to get back to normal before he returned to whatever room Selena was in. He never told her what had just happened. Not sure why. Didn't want to worry her. Wanted to keep this part of his life to himself. Something secret. Like drugs or an affair. She probably had secrets too. The station wagon was looking a lot better. After the four of them landed at the island's one airport, about the size of a bus depot, descending onto the tarmac in Hawaiian shirts, sunglasses, and straw hats, they had strolled through customs and out into the pink parking lot, heat, and palm trees, and found the only rental available to them was this station wagon, so old it had wood trim along the sides. But the kids loved it, and Selena was game. The rental agent hadn't even had it washed. You arrived on time. We expected you to be late. Would you and your family like to sit inside and listen to the radio while I find someone to wash it for you? Selena came up with the idea of them washing it themselves the next morning at their villa. What do you think, guys? Who'd turn it into an adventure? 
Joan would have pouted the rest of the vacation, her disapproval aped by the kids. When you have something old, just wash it new. She had made a lot of inroads with them. Jeffrey wasn't a hard sell. He still took his cues from others, but Lisbeth, older and a woman herself, although only twelve, took more time. Don, watching from his aisle seat on the flight down as Selena flirted with her. She was a great flirt. He took the hose from Jeffrey, used his thumb to eclipse most of the brass opening, turning the gush into a high-powered spray, worked his way down the soapy length of the wagon, walking backwards. Selena and Lisbeth were facing each other, Selena holding the length of Lisbeth's pale hair in her fingers. Mom said I shouldn't cut it. Selena's hands lifted Lisbeth's hair on either side of her face to just below her chin. Oh, I don't know, sweetheart. Maybe if we didn't cut-cut it, but just had it trimmed. Maybe up to here? It'd really frame your face. And it would dry a lot faster after you washed it. Don saw Jeffrey's worried face, turn around to see where his son was looking. Parked across the entrance to the driveway, blocking it effectively, a police cruiser. Don raised his jaw, eyes watching the man dressed in a sheriff's uniform headed towards him. Good morning. The sheriff got closer, shaking his head. He seemed upset. What are you doing? Don ambled forward to meet him. You mean washing this wagon? The sheriff gave Don an exasperated look. Did you not see the signs at the airport warning that there is a water shortage? This is an island, sir. Jeffrey and Elizabeth both moved closer to Selena. She put a hand on each child's shoulder. Don shrugged. Oh, I... I didn't. In any event, we're finished. I'll be sure we're more careful in the future. The sheriff thrust both hands at the rear of the driveway where soapy water was sliding towards the lawn. In the future. Well, what about now? That is all wasted water. That is a crime. Don gave the older, shorter man a quick up and down. Open collar, probably because of the heat. Sheriff's badge pinned to his beige shirt. Unusually wide black belt with a pair of handcuffs dangling by one hip, sidearm by the other hip. Look, I apologize. The car rental gave us a dirty car. We rinsed it off. The other man snorted. Oh, I think it's more than a rinse. Look at how many liters of our water you've wasted. Did you ever think that perhaps there's a reason why they gave you an unwashed car? Why nobody washes their car on this island? The fact that the sheriff said leaders rather than gallons reminded Don he was in a foreign country, where he didn't know much about the culture. He bobbed his head. You're right. I'm very sorry. I didn't see the sign at the airport. I have custody of my kids for the next two weeks and I wanted to show them a good time. You have my word. We will be extra careful about using water the rest of our stay in your country. I appreciate you letting me know. Well, you appreciate me letting you know. I hope you can appreciate me writing you a ticket, a fine, for what you've done. Don said nothing for a moment, then smiled, raised his black eyebrows. Of course, only fair. He watched as the shorter man fussily made entries in the thick pad of forms he had pulled out of a back pocket. He glanced back at Selena and the kids. She stood relaxed, hip-cocked, gave him a wry smile. 
Just because we are a small island does not mean we can be pushed around, sir. Of course not. This was my mistake, and I assure you it will not happen again. You're American, right? Don spread his big hands apart. I am. You have a lot of water in your country. The Great Lakes, yeah? Five of them? Correct? We don't have that down here. He tore the top sheet off of his pad, handed it to Don. Don glanced at the fluttering paper. He hadn't learned what the conversion rate was in the local currency, but it seemed like a large amount. He read the rest of the form. Thank you, Sheriff Axonil. I will take care of this right away. Don took up the rear as the hostess wound his family past the small tables, the lamp-lit faces, to a large table by the side window. As he followed behind his group, he saw different men at the tables notice Selena, doing that double-take where they stare longer. Trying to hide their interest from their dates, mumbling distracted responses to the conversation, which never works, Don used to get angry when other men noticed Joan, but with Selena who was younger and prettier, he had gotten more relaxed. Maybe because being as attractive as she was, she was more used to male attention and was less flattered by it. Or perhaps just better at ignoring it rather than being grateful. He remembered that moment in bed when he first saw her face for exactly what it was, how it actually looked. Which always happens. Without makeup, without a pose... Just a naked face, bony features, and excited eyes, and it still looked good. Not as attractive as he originally thought that day in the bookstore with the rain outside. Faces never are. But a face that even at this most vulnerable moment was still young and confident. Once everyone was seated, menus passed over their heads to the family. He ordered a Manhattan for himself, a cosmopolitan for her. The waiter bowed and went away. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
Lizbeth was sitting up straight in her chair, still getting used to her new hairstyle, trying to act more sophisticated. Selena had lent her one of her necklaces, pearls around a kid's throat. She took on an affected air. I've always wanted to try steamed clams. Selena laid her head on the little girl's wrist. Your dad loves clams. That sounds like what I'll have for my appetizer then. Are you having clams? You know, I think I will. Thanks for the idea, sweetie. Lisbeth's eyes read left to right as she considered the entrees, but her mind was obviously elsewhere. Still staring at the different entrees with their fancy fonts, she made a too casual shrug. So, how did you and my dad meet anyway? Don slipped his Manhattan, lit a cigarette, sat back in his chair. Your stepmother and I met in Manhattan. It was a rainy day, you know, like at a movie. We talked for a while like adults do, then I asked her to have a drink with me after work. So, did you know you really liked her? Selena answered for him, winking at Lisbeth, which caused the little girl to blush. He did. Know how I could tell? He started courting my hand. Selena held up her slim left hand in the candlelight. He'd kiss its knuckles, hold it, pat it, gave it lots of treats, food, clothes, jewels. Eventually, it let him slip a heavy ring on his finger, kind of like a saddle. But I like saddles. Don shifted in his seat. And you guys are going to stay married, like, forever? Don leaned towards his daughter. Absolutely. And the four of us are always going to have adventures like this. A commotion at a nearby table. The man at the head of the table spoke in a loud voice meant to be heard throughout the immediate neighborhood of tables. Do you not know how to open a bottle of wine? The waiter much smaller, tilted his head to one side, trying to screw the corkscrew into the cork. I'm opening it for you, sir. It'll only take a moment. More furious twisting, base of the bottle clamped between the elbow and ribs of his white waiter's jacket. The customer spread his hands apart, shoulders lifted, with a can-you-believe-this-shit look of disbelief played to the other tables. He held out a paw. Do you know who I am? Have you ever heard the name Oslov? That's me. Here, hand me the bottle. Let me give you a lesson on how to uncork wine. I'm doing it, sir. A waitress brought Don's table their soup. Brown, flecked with green. He stumped out his cigarette. Smells fantastic. Thank you. She nodded and left. Hand me the bottle. Hand me the bottle. I am paying for it. Hand it to me. Sir, if you will be so kind as to allow me... Oslov yanked the bottle from the waiter. The corkscrew fell to the carpet. Get me a new corkscrew! He shook his head wearily at the waiter's incompetence, shot his eyes up at the waiter. No, I don't want that corkscrew. You picked it up off the dirty carpet. Fetch me a new corkscrew. A clean one. What the hell is wrong with you? Are you a waiter or a busboy? The soup really was quite good. Deep, complex flavor. It reminded Don of some of the gumbos he had in New Orleans over the years, on one of his many business trips. As he sipped, head bent, he saw Lisbeth struggle, trying to decide if she liked it or not. 
casting glances at Selena's elegant face for clues. Jeffrey was using his spoon like an oar, floating the ingredients around, trying to figure out what he had been served. <laughs> Fussy eater, which dismayed Don. What were you doing over there? I have your corkscrew, sir. Yeah, but before you brought it to me, you brought salads to that other table. You were waiting on us. You help us first, then you help them. Now, watch. As I open this bottle, you need to learn how to do this if you're going to be a waiter. The rest of the men at the table leaned back in their captain's chairs, relaxing, laughing, looking at the waiter with contempt. Oslov worked the point of the screw into the soft top of the cork, screwing down the steel spirals. You see what I'm doing? Don't look over there, look here! Pay attention! After a few more twists, the corkscrew snapped off. What the fuck? The waitress returned to take their empty soup bowls. Was it to your satisfaction, sir? Don lit a fresh cigarette. It had a unique taste. I really enjoyed it. They season it with the little ones. It's an island specialty. The... the what? What do they season it with? The little ones, sir. An island specialty. The cooks grind them and add them to the soup, sprinkling them across the surface. They sink down, of course. You brought me a defective corkscrew! I did not, sir. On purpose! You filthy, worthless piece of shit! I want to speak to your manager. Go and fetch him. Sir, I can remedy the situation. Fetch your goddamn manager, boy. Thumb and middle finger raised. Snap, snap. Allow me to clear your soup course. Clear our soup course? We haven't even tasted it yet due to your stupid incompetence. The waiter reached down, curled his fingers under the white rim at the far side of Oslov's soup bowl. He tilted the rim up until the hot soup slid over the opposite rim, on to Oslov's lap. Oslov shot up out of his chair, clapping at his crotch. Sorry, sorry, sir, accident. You fucking... I'm so sorry, sir. Manager! Where's the fucking manager? A bald-headed man who was older and even shorter than the waiter rushed over. The waitress brought the next course to Don's table. Fat white shrimp with orange streaks across their plumpness, lying in a shallow pool of golden butter, intoxicating aromas of garlic. Don glanced at his kids. Don't behave like that when you grow up. Especially don't behave like that in a restaurant. The waiter will spit in your food before he serves it to you. As they were finishing the course, the police arrived. Oslov, at this point, still standing, front of his pants wet, arguing at the top of his lungs with the manager. The waiter had his hands on his hips. Everyone pulled back a little in front of the police. Don recognized Sheriff Axenil from earlier. As the cheese course arrived, wrapped in wet green leaves, the sheriff grabbed the waiter by his shoulders twisted him around, bent him over a vacant table, handcuffed him, and one of his deputies lead the waiter out of the dining room by his shirt collar. The seated people pretending not to watch, forks held in midair. Just before he himself left, Sheriff Axinal swept his eyes around the different tables. He saw Don, glared at him. Selina looked at her fingernails. 
I always thought island life was supposed to be relaxing. As they left through the restaurant's entrance, a little boy ran up to Don's family, frightened look in his eyes. Are you hungry? Don stepped between the boy and his children. Who are you? I am so hungry. Will you feed me? Lisbeth reached out for Selena's hand. Dad, can we feed him? Can I come to your home? Um, no. Sorry. Where are your parents? My father was arrested. Was your father the waiter the police took away? The boy grew excited. Yes, yes. I don't have any food. Dad, please. Your father was an employee of the restaurant. Go inside and speak to the manager. Tell him your situation. I'm sure he'll take care of you. The boy tagged along at the periphery of Don's family as they made their way across the parking lot to their rental station wagon. Please feed me. Don got everyone into the wagon, turned around at the open driver's door. What's your name, son? Puko? Puko. Uh, Puko, you need to go back to the restaurant and speak to the manager. I'm sure he'll help you. Don folded himself into the wagon, started it up, backed up carefully. Puko, just outside, arms at his sides. He looked hungry, Dad. I don't doubt he is but we're not going to get involved in it. Not in a foreign country. You've got to watch out for yourself. Lord knows nobody else will. Don exited the parking lot, glanced in the rearview mirror. Puko was running behind the wagon, knees and elbows lifting. Their rented villa wasn't far from the restaurant. By the time they pulled up onto the driveway and everyone got out of the car, Don could hear the echoes of shoes running on pavement, approaching from the street's shadows. Everyone, get inside. Puko's running body emerged out of the darkness, bouncing under the moonlit palm trees towards them. Dad? Don looked at Selena, who was standing behind Lisbeth, hands draped over the little girl's shoulders. She squeezed the tops of Lisbeth's shoulders. We don't know anything about him, sweetie. But by now, Puko had almost reached the driveway. His eyes looked frightened, bent over, like he was going to vomit palms on his knees, out of breath. I... I... I have nowhere to go. Dad, please. Don made a f sound with his lips. He doesn't have anybody. He's hungry. Inside the well-lit villa, Don poured himself a whiskey. Lisbeth was introducing herself and Jeffrey to the little boy. Don sat on one of the bar stools. What do you normally eat? Puko swung his anxious face towards Don, trying to please. My older brothers? They allow me to drink all the pig juice, because I am more, um... Head down, trying to translate. Vulnerable. And what exactly is pig juice? It is when the pig is activated. Activated! Do you mean the pig's blood? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't want to drink blood. Diseases. Ugh. But pig's juice? Uh, it's not the best part, like the head, but it's very nourishing. So, it's like 
the melted fat from the pig? No! We do not eat that. Not even my brother's. Do you mean the drippings from the pig? Like, as it cooks? Oh no, that's for my older brothers. Only they get the bread to sop it up with. I just get the pig juice. It's very nourishing. Very, very nourishing. Selena, fetching in her bare-armed island dress, looked at her new husband. We have some leftover chicken in the fridge. Don raised himself up in his chaise lounge, shielding his eyes from the sun with a right-handed salute, watching Selena sashay over in a blue and red bikini. Here's your drink, sir. She perched on the edge of his chaise lounge, facing him, drawing up one foot so he could see down the length of her leg. The kids seemed to be having fun. Lisbeth and Puka were splashing at each other in the pool, laughing and twisting their faces to one side. Jeffrey contributing feeble sprays of water the other two didn't notice. She rubbed Don's forearm. I think in another minute he's going to start feeling left out. Why don't you play a game with him? Don sipped his drink. What, like Monopoly? Raising her eyebrows to herself, shy, she said. No, but it may be a good opportunity for some father-son bonding. Let me enjoy this drink first. It's not going to kill him to have to learn how to deal with disappointment. She play punched his bicep. Some fathers are so stern. I'm just not that touchy-feely. Was that noise an airplane? What was that? Whenever I told my dad I was sorry, he'd say, It's too late to be sorry. I'd cry in my bedroom, but eventually I'd get over it. He looked up at the sky. Probably something his dad used to say to him. A line of smoke was spiraling down from the sky, louder and louder. Don was distracted. That never occurred to me. Selena looked over her bare shoulder. What is that? She looked up. Don put his drink on the side of the table, sat up all the way, feet coming down onto the patio. Selena stood. Kids, come over here. The smoke spiraled closer. It's oncoming rush blowing over an umbrella and an outdoor grill. Lisbeth, Puko, Jeffrey were still standing in the pool, looking up, motionless. The roar was deafening. The diving board burst up into the air, somersaulting. Spilt tiles rained down on Don. He ducked his head instinctively. Selena had jumped into the pool and was herding the three screaming kids to the shallow end. Don ran alongside the edge of the pool to its shallow end. Selena had everyone out by then. All three ran into her arms, sobbing. Billows of white steam erupting off the blue surface of their pool. And just beyond the villa's low wall, a palm tree fell over. Selena, on her knees in her bikini, hugging all three kids, looked up. What the F was that? Her left forearm was red. Must have burned it in the steam, pulling out the kids. I... He walked cautiously to the edge of the pool. Most of the steam had risen into the air, leaving a blur of mist just above the water. As the blur cleared, he saw something dark at the bottom of their pool. Oh, fuck. It started to register with him that the diving board was missing. A huge gouge down the pool's tiled walls on that side... Three walls of the pool, in fact, were split apart, 
the level of the pool was lowering, water escaping through the ruptured tile walls. He was looking around, trying to make sense out of everything. Oh, the diving board, or, well, what was left of it, was on the roof of their villa. Don? Don? He turned around again. Selena, like a wounded animal, was looking at the burn on her forearm. It really hurts. Sheriff Axinal came striding into their black terrace, gun drawn. What has happened? Don lifted a hand. He couldn't think of what to say. The sheriff stalked over to the smoldering ruins where the diving board had been. You destroyed this man's pool. Selena held the children closer. Something fell out of the sky. It wasn't our fault. Oh, you say it wasn't your fault. But look at this. Don patted the air in front of him. An object fell out of the sky. We had nothing to do with it. Sheriff, may I ask you to please put your gun away? You are frightening the children. Axinal looked at Selena's pleading face, rolled his eyes to himself, holstered his gun. Don approached Axinal, aware the sheriff's eyes were jumping. We really had nothing to do with this. You can see for yourself. Just look at the pool. A black object made out of some kind of metal. Selena took a look herself, the kid shuffling with her. That printing on the side. That's Cyrillic. The sheriff studied her, but clearly wasn't going to ask what Cyrillic meant. Oh, God, it's Russian? Whatever fell out of the sky must be part of a Russian satellite? He flared his nostrils. I have to once again write you a ticket. The man's swimming pool is destroyed. Don controlled his anger. We did not destroy the pool. This object did, over which we had no control. Well then, you can argue that in court. That's what our courts are for. Who is that child? Buko was clinging to Selena. He wasn't here yesterday. He doesn't look like your offspring. We, the... This is Puko. We were in a restaurant last night, the happy-go-lucky. You were there too. His father, the waiter, who was arrested. Puko's his son. He followed us here. We took him in rather than just having him wander around the streets after dark. Did you not think to call the sheriff's department? Selena looked up from nursing the burn on her forearm. We called the sheriff's department, but no one answered. Stared straight at the sheriff, blinking, hoping he would believe the lie. The sheriff wavered. How late did you call? Quite late. Sheriff Axinal conceded the point. Well, his father will be in jail for the next few days, hesitated, looking at Selena. I will let him know you are taking care of his son for him. He is not trouble? Selena's happy face, tears of relief. No trouble at all. But I do have to write you a ticket for this destruction. You can argue it in court. For the second time in two days, Don waited for the sheriff to rip a citation off the top of his thick pad. I'll see that it's taken care of. Sheriff Axnell nodded, glanced back at Selena, squinted up at the sky, and then left. By the next morning, the burn on Selena's forearm was still red, but according to her, it no longer hurt. She suggested they take a day off, pack a picnic lunch, go to the beach, and just relax. 
Don, sipping his coffee, agreed. I want to get something out of this vacation. It was a beautiful day. Blue sky, white sand, green waves breaking on the shore. Selena spread a wide red blanket for everyone. Don stabbed the large beach umbrella into the sand so that they'd have some shade. Even better, the beach was not crowded. A few families or couples in sight, fairly far down on either side of them, but behind them, where the edge of the beach met the jungle, tall palm trees, wild ferns, and bright green fronds were swaying in the breeze off the ocean. Selena put some sunscreen on her forearm, revolving it as she rubbed. Does it hurt? She shrugged. Just a little. You could try to distract me from it later on tonight, after the kids are tucked in. We could swing by the emergency room on the way back to the villa. She squeezed her husband's wrist. I won't be okay. I hate emergency rooms. The three kids were down by the wet shoreline building a sandcastle, dumping their plastic buckets of sand decorated with big, colorful flowers upside down on the dry part of the sand. Jeffrey was staring down at something that had arrived on a wave, bending over in his baggy swimming trunks. The little scientist. Once the sun was high up in the sky, Don kissed his wife and took a swim out in the ocean, going arm over arm out past the humped waves, until he was just a little pale blot in the distant, undulating green, swimming lateral to the shoreline about half a mile down the beach. Selena and the kids watched from shore. She squeezed Lisbeth's shoulder. Your dad's a strong swimmer. While Don emerged hunchbacked from the water, tired, the five of them made their way to the blanket. Selena, sitting with legs folded by the large wicker picnic basket she had packed hours earlier, glanced prettily at her family. You guys ready to eat? Her delicate hands lifted out all sorts of treasures. Some squarish white ice bags first to keep all the food inside cool. Ham sandwiches, fried chicken, hard-boiled eggs, salads and plastic bins, dressing in separate containers so the greens wouldn't get soggy, irregularly cut cubes of moist fruit, all different colors, cheese, crackers, a baggie heavy with wet pickle spears, and, with the two adults, a tall bottle of white wine, two glasses, and a corkscrew. Puko had to be shown how a sandwich worked. They ate together on the red blanket in a small circle facing inwards. Lisbeth was cutting up one of the larger fruit chunks for Jeffrey when her eyes widened, staring past Selena and Don's shoulders. Look! Look! She stood up on the blanket in her bathing suit. Twenty feet away, a group of three monkeys were cautiously approaching across the sand on their knuckles and feet, black noses lifted sniffing. Selena swung her hair away from her face. Oh my goodness. Can we feed them? Don drained his latest glass of wine. They're wild animals, sweetie. Oh, people probably feed them all the time, Dad. It's like when we go to McDonald's and drop french fries out the windows for the pigeons. The lead monkey sat up, brown hindquarters setting down in the sand. He raised his front paws as if begging, big lips pulling back exposing his fangs, chattering. He's hungry! I don't know. They're wild animals, honey. Lisbeth, still standing, got in a pitcher's stance, 
eyes closed. She hurled a wet chunk of fruit at the front monkey, as if she were trying to hit it. It plopped into the sand a yard in front of it. As they all watched, the monkey, larger than the other two, crawled forward. Rum held higher than its head, worried eyes checking and rechecking the human's distance. He scrabbled up the orange chunk and, amazingly, with a daintiness, dusted off the sand with its black paw. So intelligent. He's eating it, Dad. Can I give him more? Do you think I could feed him out of my hand? I don't know about that, sweetie. Elizabeth held up a triangle of ham sandwich. She walked towards the monkey's feet, wagging the sandwich up and down. Here, monkey. Here. Selena poured her long hair behind her ear. Elizabeth, maybe you shouldn't do that. The monkey crawled closer across the sand, baring its fangs. Selena stood up. Lizbeth, please come back. Don stood. Sweetie? Here, monkey. The monkey scuttled over, snatching the sandwich, shoulders hunching. Lizbeth squealed. The monkey jumped on her head, long tail whipping left and right, Lisbeth's blind arms rising. Selina dashed across the sand. The monkey's black paw dug into the front of Lisbeth's screaming face, pulling out a blue eye, scuttled back down the beach with the other two, hopping back into the jungle. Don, Selena, Jeffrey, and Puko sat together in the waiting area of the emergency room. A very small emergency room, about the size of a doctor's office back in the States. And according to the paper sign taped in the front glass door, it wasn't a 24-hour service. Ten in the morning to eight in the evening. Eventually, a doctor made his way over to them. The halts? Don stood up, still in his bathing suit. Were you able to save the eye? The doctor did a double take. There was no eye. From what you said, the monkey took it. Selena's face scrunched. She doesn't have a left eye anymore? But her right eye is unharmed. Not even scratched. Let me take you to her. Once through the door separating the waiting room from the emergency care ward, they saw Lisbeth right away, sitting up in a white bed. There was only one other bed in the ward. No privacy curtains. A sandwich, half eaten on a small desk against one wall. Lisbeth had white gauze over her left eye, crisscrossed white tape holding the gauze in place. Her little lips trembled, arms lifting. Daddy. Don held her to his bare chest, careful not to touch the bandage. She can go home with you. There's nothing more we can do. Selena had tears running down her face. What do we do next? Do we get a glass eye or... The doctor shook his head. The socket must heal first. You can get the glass eye back in the States. A black nurse showed up behind them. Mr. Holt, will you be paying with traveler's checks? He instinctively touched the sides of his bathing suit. Oh, um, let me get my pants. The nurse accompanied him back out to the emergency room waiting area. The family had left all their belongings in the seats of the empty chairs. Thankfully, no one had stolen them. 
Don yanked out his wallet. He followed the nurse into a back room. As he pulled out his wad of traveler's checks, she raised her black eyebrows. Hmm, wealthy American. You should come down to the islands more often. Her eyes were so brown they were almost black. He peeled off blue-green traveler's checks. His handsome face managed to smile. You know, I would love to go down on the islands. Don rejoined his family a few minutes later, putting a slip of paper into his wallet. Lisbeth sat in Selena's lap on the drive back to the villa. No one spoke. A little before eight, Don got up out of his chair. I'm going to go buy some whiskey. Tonight? I've been through a lot. Look, I still have to call Joan to tell her what happened. Will you watch the kids? Selena moved her head around on her neck, somewhere between a nod and a shake. Oh, sure. It may take me a while to find a place that's open. I'll take the front door key with me. All of you probably need a good night's sleep. Where's Daddy going? Oh, I'll be back. I'm just going out for a little while. Selena, looking up at Don, beckoned Elizabeth to join her on her chair. Daddy won't be long, sweetie. He got home around eleven. The kids were asleep. Elizabeth was in the bed with Selena. Why'd it take you so long? I ended up going to a bar instead. You know, so I didn't bring a whole bottle of whiskey home. In the dark, she gave him a kiss goodnight, Lisbeth exhaling by her side. She reared her head back at the minty taste. Did you brush your teeth? Uh, I had one too many. Threw up in the parking lot. Sorry. Selena fixed a special breakfast. Quiche Lorraine to cheer up Lisbeth. And when we get back to the States, you and I are going to get complete makeovers. It'll be a girl's day out. But Lisbeth, ignoring the slice of quiche put with a flourish in front of her, looked up at her dad. I want to see my mom. My real mom. Selena's smile faded, then came back, but frozen. Don swallowed some more quiche, wiped his mouth. You will, but uh, aren't you having fun with Selena? Her one eye started crying. I want my real mom. Can we go back today? Using the side of his fork to cut off another chunk of quiche, Don said, Honey, you're being rude. Selena grinned extra wide and shook her head. No, it makes sense, Don. I can call the airline, see if we can get our tickets converted. I'll make sure you see your real mom, sweetie. I promise. She picked up her orange juice, even though it was still full, went over by herself to the sink. She stayed with her back to the Holt family for a while, looking down at the sink. Don, still sitting with his kids at the kitchen table. Are you okay? Selena stayed, standing with her back to the others. Yeah, that's fine. It really is, I understand. They decided, since this was to be their last day on the island, they'd have a cookout on the patio, over on the side of the patio least damaged by the Russian space junk falling out of the sky. Selena went into town by herself. 
brought back jumbo shrimp fresh from the ocean, wooden skewers, a bag of coals with French writing on the side, and individual tubs of greens, fruits, and garden vegetables for a salad. Through the sliding glass door, she saw Don out on the terrace, having a drink, talking on his phone. Puko and Jeffrey playing together in fronds on the far side of the destroyed pool. Where was Lisbeth? A murmur deep within the villa. Selina followed its rise and fall, having to choose which hallways to tiptoe down based on the murmur's increase or decrease in volume. Getting colder. Getting warmer. She found Lisbeth in a rear bedroom, back to the open doorway sitting on the edge of the room's bed, her little shoulders hunched around the phone in her hand. Teary voiced, she said, I want to live with you. I don't like it here. She reared her head around suddenly with a new hairstyle Selena had got for her, a look of betrayal on her bandaged face. Selena backed up, embarrassed. Sorry, I didn't know you were on the phone. She flapped her hands by her hips, helpless, then left. She was sniffling by the kitchen sink, cold water on, deveining the shrimp when Lisbeth showed up. Hey, sweetie. She put down the long, thin knife. She smiled. How come you don't have any kids? Well, I like to think of you and Jeffrey as my kids now. That little face with that big, cumbersome bandage. If my real mom was here, she would have protected me. I don't have an eye anymore. Sweetie, we're going to have the best plastic surgeon in Manhattan take a look at you. And he's going to fix you up to where nobody will ever see that you're missing an eye. I don't like shrimp. You liked it at the restaurant the other night. Lisbeth headed towards the sliding doors. Sweetie? Lisbeth stopped, rolling her eye at the imposition. Selena started trembling. She tilted her face to one side. I'm so, so sorry. I'm just, I'm just really sorry. I'm... Um, she burst into tears, her shoulders shaking, squeezed her eyes shut. Selena came to the sliding doors carrying a plate of skewered raw shrimp, a big bowl of cut-up colors of the family salad. She posed with a plate, smiling brightly. Okay, everybody, who wants some grub? Don said a few more words, then got off the phone. Lisbeth, sitting by herself in one of the green and yellow patio chairs, her mouth sickled, ignored her, staring up at the sky. Jeffrey and Puko stayed on the far side of the wrecked pool, thrashing about in the fronds. The black coals were red hot, tiny flames flickering around them, like demons. White ash across their rounded tops. Selena lay the skewered shrimp on the grill. Anyone want to watch? Sizzle. Smoke. No takers. Puko came running around the side of the pool. Danger! Don got up out of the chaise lounge, bringing his drink with him. Selena watched the shrimp turn white and orange, getting ready to flip them. What? Danger! He flattened his right hand, swam it through the air. Smells great. Jeffrey, still in the fronds on the far side of the pool, was leaning over. 
Uko, swimming his flattened hand through the air again, trying to find the English word. The shrimp were getting too done on one side. Selina, watching Puko's flattened hand swim laterally through the air, jerked her head up, finding where Jeffrey was. Jeffrey? Come here! She dropped her tongs in the patio and went running around the pool to the far side of the property. There was Jeffrey, rearing his head back, scared. She snatched him up in her arms, flew him backwards, spanked his bottom. Run to your dad now. Then she peered down at the crisscrossed fronds. The top of one shook. The top of the next one shook. There, down on the ground. Not a big snake. Maybe only a foot long. This is going to stop. This is not going to keep happening. Lifting her foot, she stomped her sneaker down on the snake which just pushed it into the soft ground between the fern bases. Snarling like a protective mother, she reached down, grabbed the snake by its wriggling middle, and flung it at the stone wall at the property line. Its writhings bounced off the wall, flopping onto the ground. She shot a look at the others on the far side of the pool, gave a thumbs up to Lisbeth with an exaggerated athleticism. Selina marched through the ferns to the wall, found a rock on the ground. As her family watched, the little snake rose up off the dirt. It struck the front of its face against Selina's thigh. She yanked it off her leg, threw it at the wall. It curved back towards her. She went towards it but stumbled. She looked down at her bitten thigh where blood was flowing, moved forward again but slower. Don started running around the side of the pool to reach Selina. The little snake sprang up in the air again. Selina put up a hand to defend herself, but her hand rose slowly. Too slowly. The snake bit her again, in her waist. Her hand swatted at it, listlessly, like a wounded animal. Lisbeth started running around the pool. Selina fell. The snake twisted up her body, hitting its head against her here, there. One final strike. Small face raised on its coils against Selena's neck. Two pink punctures. Then it slithered off. Selena lay in the dirt, one arm stretched out, not moving. Dawn stopped running. But Lisbeth kept running. Kept running around the side of the ruined pool. You've been listening to Monkeys on the Beach by Ralph Robert Moore. Ralph Robert Moore Nominated twice for Best Story of the Year by the British Fantasy Society in 2013 and 2016, has had his dark fiction published in America, Canada, England, Ireland, France, India, and Australia, in a wide variety of genre and literary magazines and anthologies, including Black Static, Shadows and Tall Trees, Midnight Street, Shazine, 
in Sein und Werden. His books include the novels Father Figure, As Dead as Me, and Ghosters, and the short story collections Remove the Eyes, I Smell Blood, and You Can Never Spit It All Out. His second collection, I Smell Blood, tied with Justin Icy's I Wonder What Human Flesh Tastes Like for Peter Tennant's Award of Best Short Story Collection of 2011. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time, and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you support this show, and that also means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness. I bet you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill, unless otherwise noted. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode. 
and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.